Hello, welcome to Sack King's Therapy, episode 97. Oh, three more from 100. Uh, unfortunately today, no Fong. Uh, he is a busy boy, and he's actually about to go on a, on a bit of a sabbatical for a bit. And he will be back at some point, but I, we're, I'm actually... Well, he told me when he'll be back, but I forgot. So, um, he won't... So maybe these one or two episodes uh, won't feature Fong, so... You know, if you're if you're a fan of listening to me talk, you're in luck. If you don't like listening to me talk, uh, sorry, you're gonna be stuck with me for a few more episodes. Um, well, uh, I originally I always planned to do kind of two episodes per week. You know, dur- you know, during the off season, just you know, keep things fresh. You know, keep updated on the NBA, but just could never really. Never just never really been able to find the time to do it. It's just me and Fong's schedule like just didn't mesh well. Um, um and yeah, without games to like I guess bring us together, there just wasn't really any reason to do well, we could we just couldn't synchronize well enough without games of like both of us, you know, having the time to do an episode and both of us having to watch a game. But yeah, since Fong is not going to be here, um, I'm just going to try and record episodes whenever I can. Well, anyways, um, enough rambling. Uh, before we get into it, um, just want to quickly talk about um, just, yeah, I guess, quickly go over some King's news. There just isn't that many, but uh, Rex Kalamian uh, now apparently has left the King's bench to go to to go to Detroit. Loving my words, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what to think just because, you know, the Kings' defense was pretty terrible this year, and I don't know how much of that I can even say was Kalamian's fault. Like, he seems to have a good reputation around the league. Like, he doesn't seem to be, like, a guy that's, you know, like, a bad uh, assistant coach. There's no rumblings about that. He seemed, in fact, he seems to be pretty good. Like, Kings tried some new stuff, but for... But for whatever reason, just could not stop the other team from scoring. A lot of it just has to go with effort, in my opinion. So, you know, losing Rex, that's interesting. I don't know how that's going to affect, you know, the Kings' defense next year. Hopefully, like, we hire somebody that can kind of organize everyone on defense. Like, we got to get a better defensive coordinator or get the guys to play harder. Because, you know, we have we had the worst defense in NBA history. And as I mentioned before, like, you know, the offenses are getting better. So, like, maybe that's not the most... Not, maybe that's not the biggest deal, but we were the worst defense in the league for much of the season. And, yeah, hopefully we can get that sorted out. And, you know, congratulations to uh, Rex. You know, hopefully he finds success in Detroit. And, you know, Detroit actually, I think, has a good defense already. So he'll probably add to that. I mean, if def- if Detroit's defense falls, falls off a cliff and somehow the Kings are competent on defense this year maybe maybe rex isn't a great defensive coordinator but we shall see i think it's more on the players that are in the kings than anything to do with rex um other piece of well not really kings news but um i was just i guess i just had some free time uh, these past few days i'm constantly thinking about you know a big trade for a superstar you know to um to, to to the Sacramento, and you know Pascal Siakam is a name that I've con- you know just I've thought about, and then I've heard like other Kings podcasts talk about it. You know D'Lo and Casey um, talk about it a lot on their um, on their 
radio show. There we go. And, you know, in their package suggested, which sounds amazing, is, you know, Bagley, Buddy, and the pick for Pascal Siakam. And if that's the package, I'm more than down for that trade. Like Siakam, you know, a former champion, was huge in winning them the championship that, you know, in the year uh, 2019. It feels like ages ago, even though it's only been two years. But, like, you know, he's a good player, very versatile. And as last year showed, an an amazing second option, but not so much as a first option. So, like, I imagine he would be the second option uh, behind Fox if he were on the Kings. That They ought to figure that part out. But, you know, a guy, you know, great, great length, great defense, incredible speed. One of the fastest 6'9 guys I've ever seen on the court. And just would be an amazing fit in Sacramento. But the more I kind of think about it, the more I think that package that I just mentioned will never do it. Like, Buddy and Marvin, they're nice, they're nice, they're not good enough to get a guy like Siakam. And the more I kept thinking about it, if you are Toronto, if you were to ever do a trade for Pascal Siakam with Sacramento, you have to include Tyrese in that deal. And hilariously enough, when I when I was thinking about it on, on the same day, Matt George uh, on Locked On Kings uh, brought on, I forget his name, I think his first name is Sean, and... Basically, he came up with a package that included Tyrese in that deal and also Harrison Barnes and DeLon Wright for Pascal Siakam. Now, personally, I, I do not like that deal because you're basically giving up your second and third best players in that deal for Siakam and a good bench scorer, a versatile you know, wing-ish kind of guard. Uh, score off the bench like you're giving up a lot for a guy that you know is good but like if you lose that much I don't know if it's worth it and you know unless like you you can guarantee that the Kings are going to make the playoffs next year I don't want to do that trade and you know that just got me thinking like you know it probably the truth is somewhere in the middle and if we're ever going to get a guy like Siakam um just you know he I'm monitoring that situation closely just because there have been so like a seems to be a lot of run-ins with him and the organization and coach Nick Nurse like he might be things might be a little bit tense there and you know it's you know if you know Kings want to call about his availability like you know you can kind of name your price I would not include Tyrese or Harrison in that or maybe Harrison by himself but like I'm not including Tyrese and Harrison in that deal and I assume like the truth is somewhere in the middle between the or like the actual package. I mean, it's somewhere in the middle between the uh, D'Lo and KC package and the uh, locked on NBA Matt George's package. I am like the more I think about it, I just think if if you're Toronto and you're Masai Ujiri, you're a great. Well, yeah, you're a pretty damn good GM. Like, you know how to talk deals you know how to like you know i guess poach guys away from teams i think tyrese will have to be involved in that deal if this uh, siakam trade is to ever go down and i'm not sure how i feel about that like i just i'm i would want to keep tyrese at all costs but i just don't think like it'll, it'll you know you'll be able to get see the kings will be able to get siakam if tyrese is not in that deal or maybe like harrison i just don't think is enough and like maybe some picks and like two picks, like, you know, this year's pick and maybe like next year or not next year. Like it would have to be two years from now, like 2023 pick. 
um, in order to get that done. But it's an interesting to think about. But like, yeah, I, I don't see us making a package like that. Just because, like, first of all, if you want to have to give up Tyrese, I'm already queasy enough about that. But then you have to add on to the fact that Kings are more than likely to be outbid by another team. Uh, the main team I constantly think about is uh, is the Warriors because they have James Wiseman, they have the Minnesota pick, and they also have their own pick, which probably won't be that high unless they fall into the lottery somehow. But, like, the idea that you know, the other teams, if like the Warriors, like I'm going to just keen on the war. The Warriors can offer James Wiseman. And that's basically better than probably better than Ty, a better asset than Tyrese. Even like that is a lot of talent and potential that is on the table. If, you know, Warriors were to ever offer James Wiseman. And I just think like another team can, you know, drive up the price of Siakam. And at that point, I'm just out. Like, if you're like the fact that we probably have to include Tyrese is already enough for me. And with another team just driving up the price even more, that is just going to be a no go. So, guy, guys who wanted a Pascal Siakam trade, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but it's probably not going to happen just because it, the price is going to be really high. And I'm not sure if the Kings are in a position where they can honestly take that sort of a swing. Like, it just he would be the he would be kind of that Chris Webber type. Like, you know, if you know a lot of people were talking about, you know, when in '96 when you traded when uh, the Kings traded for Chris Webber, like that basically changed everything for for Sacramento, and it basically brought them into prominence, and they eventually became one of the best teams in the league that probably should have won a championship, but you know, like. Siakam would be would probably be that guy. I'm just not sure. I want to like. I, I'm not sure if I want to say give up. Like say, oh god, if we had to give up Fox for him, ooh, Fox and or um, Tyrese for him. I I don't know if I'm willing to do that. It's too big of a risk for me. And I'm I'm a little bit more risk averse when it comes to this. And I you know we love Tyrese here. Like, and he's, and I know a lot of like advanced scouts don't see how he can improve. I tend to disagree just because I think, you know, when you're that young and you're that smart and you're already like, you know, contributing to winning basketball already, there are, there are, there's room to improve. And I want to see where Tyrese can get to. I'm, I don't know what his ceiling will be, but even at this kind of floor level that he's established, like that's a pretty damn high level. And he is going to be, you know, if, a championship team will likely include a guy like Tyrese or need a guy like Tyrese. And I think he is a foundational piece for this uh, franchise, and I don't want to see him go anywhere. Um, so that's my verdict. Uh, speaking of the pick, uh, of the Kings' pick, you know, uh, another thing that I just kept thinking about, like, just, like, unless the pick lands in the top four, I think it's probably gone because, you know, Monty McNair has talked about how the, the mission, I guess, the goal of this year is to make sure we make the playoffs somehow. And how that happens, I have no clue. But, I, you know, we're, we're approaching that 15 or we're going to break the record if we miss the playoffs one more time, 16 years in a row, like not being in the playoffs. And, you know, there's real real pressure on Luke Walton and, um, you know, the rest of the Kings organization, like, you know, so many losing seasons. We have a losing culture. Like, it's dark here. It's getting dark here, and something needs to change. And 
you know, it's we already established it's not going to be the coach. Um, chances are it's not really going to be a, a big trade if if the Kings are not willing to give up, you know, a foundational piece to get that guy. And yeah, I'd, so unless that and I just feel like if that pick, like, say, ends up being the ninth pick, which is the most likely scenario. Like, there's not a really a guy that I can think of that, you know, can actually, that will help the Kings Kings reach the playoffs. Because guess what? Rookies usually aren't good. Like, um, Tyrese is an, is kind of an exception. And, like, you know, guys like even LaMelo is a bit is a bit of an exception. Although, honestly, even after he got injured, the, the Hornets were fine. But, like, the fact that, you know, you're going to bring in another rookie on your roster who chances are will not contribute much to winning. Like, I just see the Kings, like, if it ends up being the ninth pick, packaging that pick with probably one of Buddy or Marvin and trying to get some, like, immediate help. Like, say, uh, what would be a good example of a pretty decent, like, asset? I guess, like, maybe a Kelly Oubre, like, a sign-and-trade type deal. Like, I don't know how that would work salary wise, but you know, like it, that that's an idea. Like we would probably have to get some immediate help to boost the roster somehow. And, and unless it lands in the top four, like it's just not a guy that I think, you know, is worth it for us to keep that pick around or unless you might want to trade down. Like I'm, I'm really getting into Zaire Williams. Like, you know, he seems to be kind of a mid-teens guy, and, like, you can kind of trade back and probably, like, get him instead, like, and put, develop him as a project. But, like, as it stands, like, I don't see us keeping that pick unless it lands in the top four. And, you know, if you end up getting, like, a top four guy, like Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs I'm not as big on just because, like, I'm, you know, I just can't get over the fact that, like, you know, we need more wings and I'm just not into drafting another guard, even though I think he's like six, four, six, five, but, but you know, the reality is the Kings are not in a position to say, Oh, well, we need a fit pick. We, instead, like they're not in a position to, you know, deny talent, to, you know, not draft talent. Like there's not enough talent on this team. Like the West is getting deeper and deeper and you just need guys like talent that can maybe turn into something. And Jalen Suggs was really good. You know, in the NCAA tournament, and as you know, as just as a guy that can like create and run, pick and roll, like there's a lot of potential there. And uh, yeah, um, um, but here's to kind of me hoping, like you know, we'll get some lottery luck, maybe land in you know the top four, maybe even top one. Because uh, again, I just keep looking at Kay Cunningham. Man, that guy is good. And you never know with these flattened odds, like you know, you never know. It's kind of a crapshoot. Like, I've simmed the Tankathon uh, simulation a bunch of times, and again, it just seems like someone always randomly gets into the top top four. And, you know, hopefully that's the Kings. You never know. Um, Let's see. And next thing on my uh, list is uh, LaMelo. It was announced to, today that LaMelo Ball won Rookie of the Year. Kind of a foregone conclusion, although, like, you know, being kind of a Twitter nerd that I am, I did kind of browse a lot of people's a timeline, and they were talking about, like, maybe Anthony Edwards should have gotten more love. Um, I don't know how many first-place votes he got, because I don't think that's out yet, but, like, you know, just looking at some of his stats, like, he was really good in the second half of the season, and, like, the, the Timberwolves overall were really good in the ha second half of the season. I just thought, like, you know, with D'Lo coming back, like, their talent level rose rose up a little bit more, and they were never as bad, like, they just, 
like talent wise, they 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 weren't as bad as like their record indicated, and yeah, like he played really well like in the second half of the season, and maybe should have gotten more love. Tyrese, I just didn't think could win it just because like in the earlier like early early in the season, like he was getting some love because like he was making winning plays, but as the season kind of like progressed, like especially like the second half. Like the middle of the second half, because he actually played pretty well, like to end before he got injured uh, in that Mavs game. Like, I thought he was playing really well, but but just before that, he had some pretty kind of like a pretty rough stretch where he just wasn't doing a lot. It just wasn't really making an impact and wasn't scoring well, wasn't shooting well, and just, yeah, the, the team was struggling. And I thought that run basically killed any chance he had at the rookie of the year. Um, the rookie of the year race and you know lamella ball like i do think he's a teeny bit overrated but he is damn good and he has the hype machine behind him so i always thought it was going to be him even though he missed what 20 games or something he missed a while like it felt like he was gone for a while and uh yeah maybe anthony edwards and tyree should have got more love but you know i think lamello is you know by far the best rookie this year and deserving win of him um next thing i want to talk about this was really interesting. So on The Athletic, Tim Cato and Sam Amick worked on an article. Um, and basically, it was talking about Luke, uh, the, the Mavericks and how they essentially have a shadow GM. So the, the GM, well, it used to be the GM was Don Nelson. The official GM was Don Nelson. But apparently, the article talks about a shadow GM. Uh, I I don't I don't remember what his like full name is, but they in the article I think they refer to him as Bob Vulgaris, and that is uh, that is like one of the most <laughs> vulgaris. That's like one of the it, like if you were just playing like say a Mass Effect game and you were fighting a villain, Vulgaris would probably be like the you know the antagonist's uh, last or name or something. That's that's pretty funny, but uh, Vulgaris up. Uh, so he used to be a sports gambler who, you know, built like these models that basically used focused on lineups and kind of like play strategy. Like he made a really successful career out of just kind of betting on um, sports. And, you know, the Mavs hired him or Mark Cuban specifically hired him. And basically he was kind of like behind the scenes, like dictating and like giving suggestions about what lineups to play and what and what um, players that the Mavs should be going for. He was instrumental in the KP trade. And he was also actually uh, one of the guys that also brought DeLon Wright to um, to the Mavericks, although that didn't end up working out. But like basically he was a guy that specialized in like playing the kinds of lineups that, you know, essentially using analytics to dictate what lineups should be played and how like the, the math should play and yeah like what who or what uh players like fit best next to luca and um so there's that and like it, it actually got to the point where like he was literally dictating or like get giving strong suggestions if you will to uh, Rick Carlisle on who who he wants to play or who who he should play and who he shouldn't play, like he, basically he had a lot of power and he was kind of the, like a guy that was in the background essentially pulling a lot of the strings. And the article basically kind of details how um, not a, not a lot of people are fond of this guy. And yeah, and one of the things like that's in the article was saying how arrogant this guy is and. 
how he believes that he could build a better team than any GM in the league. Like, this guy got some balls. <laughs> and he believes in himself and his model. And, yeah, credit to him for, like, you know, building essentially an empire and landing a job in the Mavericks for this. But, man, this dude does not seem all that, like, all that likable. And, you know, and he's a bit of a stereotypical kind of analytics nerd where he's not great at communicating to people. And, uh... Yeah, basically, uh, there's a lot of friction between him and a lot of people in the uh, in the organization, and most importantly, Luka Doncic. Like, Luka apparently does not like this guy, and you know, there's you know, it's an interesting kind of situation to kind of monitor going forward. I don't think it's going to lead to much, although Don Nelson, um, you know, Don Nelson apparently resigned today, so maybe it did lead to something. Uh, but like the fact that you know, there's that much kind of friction between like the the star player of the team and a very important figure in the organization. I don't know if he lasts, and you know, for an organization like the Mavericks, like you know, what do they do going forward? Like, is this guy going to get fired, and is this going to somehow lead to something down the line with Luca and the Mavs? Because uh, take a sip of water. Um, they, they also talk about this in the article. Apparently, there's a little bit of uh, friction uh, as well between Luca and Rick Carlisle and the fact that Luca might have tuned out Rick Carlisle. Like, I don't think Luke, uh, Rick, that's called Luke Carlisle. I mean, Rick Carlisle, like Rick, like, I don't think he's going to get fired this year, but looking down the line, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to make a, like a bold prediction and saying, yeah, I think he's gone by next year. Because Luca's Luca's gonna sign his supermax, you know, this offseason, and he is he is going to be the guy that's going to be there to stay. And you know, it's a it's a situation to monitor. And yeah, interesting, just kind of a weird situation all around. Like you know, the, I'm not the biggest fan of analytics, just because I I don't think it's I, I get what they're going at. Like you want to statistically, you always want to play your best lineups, and you want to play. You know their style. You know spread out offense, like with with shooters all around the court, and maybe one screener, and just have Luca cook. But they, I feel like what analytics tends to miss sometimes is that they don't factor in like the human factor enough. Like if you keep running the same thing, you become very predictable, and you know like the opponents start to figure you out, and like Luca starts to get tired, like. I get why analytics is there, and I get why Mark Cuban would hire a guy like him. You always want kind of like guys that you know bring another per- kind of perspective. As long as they have like a certain level of you know credibility, and you know if he's if they actually like provide good suggestions, like you always want it, like an extra voice in the room if possible, and you know as long as they don't overfill it with too many voices. But I, I get like where they're going with this, but like as as a guy that's that arrogant and you know that bad at communication, like yeah, like I don't think it, it, I mean I can see why like Luca might be a little bit irked by a guy like him, and I don't know if he's gonna be long for the long to stay there. Like I think KOC uh, Kevin O'Connor on one of his podcasts basically said that he might be gone too. Although I have not seen that actually reported anywhere, so who knows? But yeah, it's a it's a situation to monitor going forward. Like, does is this gonna lead to you know Luca demanding a trade at some point? Hopefully not, because like man, like. I'm pretty sure, like, if it came to that, like, Volgaris is gone. Like, you're you're doing everything you can to keep Luka. 
And uh, yeah, so I, I just thought that was an interesting situation. Uh, another thing to just kind of close out on the to close out the Mavs. Uh, I will keep an eye on Josh Richardson. Uh, Richardson did not play well with the Mavs this year, but he is another guy that I I think that the um think that the Kings should kind of keep an eye out for and just see if he's I'm I imagine he's going to opt into his the last year of his contract and uh yeah like the the Mavericks are probably looking to trade him just because he did not you know fit in uh very well and yeah I like to and you know he's a wing uh, d- defender he's a really good wing defender and you know he does he might be a bit redundant to, to a certain degree with uh, DeLon right on the roster already, but like he's a he's another guy that I imagine Monty will like. You know, a a, lo- a wing with you know versatility can guard like multiple positions and you know with long arms and you know can do some stuff on the floor. Like you can never have too many wings, I think. And you know, it's a it's he's a guy I will be interested in just keeping an eye on if you want to trade for an upgrade in some way. Okay, well, uh, quickly to just go over the playoff updates. Uh, Kevin Durant scored 49 points last night, and that was somehow the third biggest thing on Twitter this, or the third most talked about thing on Twitter this, uh, today. And, uh, yeah, it's, (laughs) he was amazing. Like, I I unfortunately didn't miss the game, so I didn't get get to catch a lot of details. But the main thing that I saw was just that, you know, KD, like, just really put the team on his back. Like, he had a a 49-point triple-double, like, a LeBron-esque performance in terms of just controlling the pace and just hitting crucial buckets and getting to his spots and just doing everything possible to be able to, like, will his team, like, to the victory. Like, James Harden did play, but he was very limited. Although he did provide, like, a you know, a teeny bit of playmaking, just the, you know, what's it called? Lessen a little bit of the burden on KD. And Jeff Green, like Jeff Green, I think it was seven for eight from three. Like he shot some pretty crazy uh, number and he showed up like, you know, as much as like people like, you know, rightfully like credit KD for like carrying them to that win. Like you gotta, you always gotta shout out the role players. Like, he, you know, Jeff Green did his thing and, you know, it's, it's always interesting. I always, I keep always thinking like Jeff Green is like a one or two plays from being out of the league, but somehow always finds a way to just contribute like he just—it's always interesting with him. Like, it, like I guess the pressure of of him, like trying to be like a star, like has is just off his shoulders. Like for the past few years, and you know he's just focused on just doing his thing, like just being a high level role player, and it's working out for him. Like you know he's shooting, like he's like getting a lot of open threes because well everyone has to kind of key on on KD and like you know Kyrie and Harden. Like he just gets open looks, and he just does what needs to be done for him. And you know, he guarded uh Giannis decently well last night. And you know, speaking of which, like a lot of the conversation online was that you know why wasn't Giannis on KD like down the stretch? Like you know, it was a lot of PJ Tucker and a lot of uh and a lot of Chris Middleton. Like what's going on there? Like you know, you have your first team All Defense guy, like t- and in my opinion, you just have to put him on KD. I know he doesn't defend KD like great, but at the same time, like you want your best defender on the best player, like down the stretch. Maybe Bud was like thinking about like, you know, he's gonna tire out like if he's gonna guard KD and he has to create offense. But th- there's actually an interesting theory that I want to mention. Like uh, back in the Warriors, like uh, 
Steve Kerr would actually put KD on the best perimeter defender on the other, or the best perimeter player on the other team. And the reason why he did that was because, like, that gets KD, like, more engaged and, I guess, more angry or hyped. And it gets him more energy, uh, in a way, on the offensive end, because that's how he kind of gets going sometimes. And, you know, it just keeps him, it just keeps him engaged. And, you know, I, maybe Bud was trying to like rest Giannis, but it's not. You, you have to put Giannis on KD. I think you have to put your best, best like wing defender on the best player when he's like smoking hot. Like Chris Middleton did a good job for the most part, but like KD just like shot over him on that final three that basically iced the game. Like I just think you have to go to you have to play your best pieces. And Bud, maybe like if they lose the series, Bud Bud has to be gone. Like, he's done enough of these questionable decisions, like, you know, you know, not playing, like, Giannis, like, in, in, you know, in a lot of minutes, for example, like, I think game one or something, and, like, just not adjusting very well, like, and honestly, not using Giannis to his strength, which is, like, as a role man to the rim, like, there's just so many things you can point to Boonhoser that he just fucks up and just doesn't, he doesn't, like, special, he doesn't, like, you know, coach like to i guess he doesn't abuse the weakness of the other team like he doesn't do like the little adjustments that need to be done in playoff series you cannot use the same game plan like that you did in the regular season it's against like the top teams in the playoffs and he just does not do a lot of those things and it's really frustrating to watch to a certain degree because like I, you know, I have a, and I have a coworker, and you know, you know, I love talking talking to him about basketball. But like he, he always says like Giannis is just not a good creator. He's just not a top player. But like, you know, a good coach, I think, would use Giannis as a role man instead. Like because you know, having Giannis create on the wing just is not a viable option. He just he doesn't have enough moves. He does not create a creative enough of a score to be able to, you know, ISO like a LeBron or like a KD or like oh yeah, you know, a James Harden. Like he just doesn't have that skill level and it's just not his strength. Instead, like ha- you know, I just watched B ball breakdown today. Have him kind of come off pin downs, have him as the role man. P- play him like AD. Like, he's not LeBron, and it's the fact that Bud just doesn't seem to be able to, either doesn't know, or just is unwilling to play him like that, like, that's criminal. Like, you, you gotta be, you gotta find a way to better unleash KD, or um, Giannis, and it just feels a bit of a disservice, and like, it just allows guys, like, you know, it just make, makes people kind of like, I guess, not prove, it, it doesn't, it doesn't put Giannis in a position to succeed as much as like he could be like Giannis is the top five player and and you know lately you know a lot of hate has gone his way and he honestly he doesn't look like a top five player even though I know he has a lot of good accounting stats but like down the stretch you're just not going to him and you know I just feel the coach has to do something you know to unleash Giannis uh, okay, well, moving on to the next uh, topic that I have, CP3 has uh, entered uh, health and safety protocols and, you know, is out indefinitely. There's no timetable for return, although, the to you know, one thing to note, he is vaccinated, so chances are, honestly, I'm going to predict he might be back, at the, back in game one against whoever wins the Clippers uh, and Jazz series just because, you know... Um, they're gonna need him <laughs> for that, for for that series. And uh, if he's gonna miss like if he's gonna miss games in that series, the Suns might be, uh, you know, screwed. 
basically. Like they like as good as Devin Booker has been, as good as DeAndre Aiden has been, like I think they need a guy like CP3 because as good as Devin Booker has been, like I don't think he's like a, he can't control the pace and slow everything down and just get everyone in in the right places like a CP3. And yeah, they're going to need him for that next series and hopefully he doesn't miss any games. Yeah. Uh, speak. You know, speaking of like the Clippers versus Jazz series, like uh, Kawhi apparently injured his knee in ga- at the end of Game Five, and it's listed as an ACL injury. They have not announced anything else. Like a lot of people on Twitter were when they saw the word ACL, just thought, "Oh, it was a torn ACL. He's going to be out for like the next year." I, I hopefully is not is not that bad, and hopefully it might be just a minor injury. But chances are he's done for the series. And that's not good going going forward for the Clippers. Like, unless Paul George really steps up, yeah, the Clippers are pretty much done. And and I don't think they can beat Phoenix, even if CP3 doesn't play, um, if that's the case. But Jazz still don't have Mike Conley um, on the other side. And, you know, he's recovering from a hamstring injury. And we'll see if he's able to play this series. And, you know, speaking of needing in the next series, they're going to need him, uh, Mike Conley, for the next series as well. Because... You know, if CP3 is going to play, if it's not going to miss any games, like that's a really dangerous team, and they're going to need everything, and I mean everything, in order to be able to compete against the Suns, because they're firing on all, all cylinders right now, and yeah, they look like title favorites now, especially if like Kyrie and Harden are not going to be healthy for the rest of the playoffs. But we shall see about that. Um, last thing I just want to go over, uh, I didn't mention that Don Nelson has resigned or AKA fired from his, uh, from his, uh, front office. I think he was president of basketball operations or GM. I don't remember which one, but, uh, Stan Van Gundy, uh, is now out as, uh, as the head coach of the Pelicans. And, uh, I honestly was a bit surprised, although there have been reports about like, uh, players were not really vibing. They they really didn't like Stan Van Gundy, and yeah, like you know, if you if you're gonna lose the players uh, the way you are, and I I don't know about the relationship between him and Zion, but like if you're if you don't have good relationship with your players and your the players just don't like playing for you, like yeah, that's that's just yeah, you're 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 done basically, and it's and it's actually surprising that it happened only after one year. I was thinking they were going to figure something out because I mean they did have some good stuff going it's just that for whatever reason they just didn't play defense. And who knows, that might be Stan's fault, who knows. And uh you know, I I heard I did see a lot of, you know, Kings fans on Twitter just saying like, well, time, why don't we just fire Luke? Like, you know, a team like New Orleans, they saw that it wasn't working out and decided and just decided to part with him why don't the kings do the same well the big difference is luke for better or for worse is really good at building relationships and everyone in the organization vouches for him the players vouch for him and you know like that makes a difference and for better or for worse that matters and you know and i don't know if that's a I just don't believe in firing Luke when you just don't give him the tools to succeed. I, I want to, I want to be able to play this one out and see what, and you know, see what happens. And, you know, I, I know like Luke isn't the greatest coach. He's not, you know, Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich, but I think he's solid enough. And I believe like if, if the players are willing to vouch for him, I think, I think that means something. Okay. And uh, just to kind of close it out, Scott Brooks was also fired. 
Like, as far as I know, there wasn't that much friction uh, behind the scenes. Who knows? It hasn't been reported, as to my knowledge. And But, you know, they barely make the playoffs, but, and, like, you know, they do have, like, two stars um, and one superstar on the team. And, you know, they probably should have played a lot better throughout the year, but, like, I mean, they had a lot of injuries, and honestly, I don't, I don't know what the deal is like with the, with that team. Like it just seems like I mean they got they got to trade Bradley Beal at some point, right? And I, who knows what what do you do with Russ after after they release um, or after they trade Bradley Beal? But like I just don't think that team ever had the talent to really compete. I feel like they don't have any wings. Like what is what is Scott Brooks supposed to do? I guess like Thomas Bryant went out with an ACL injury earlier in the year and like. I feel like he did what he could. Like, when the team just does not play any defense, like, I just don't know. They don't have the personnel to do it either. And, like, so they just kind of lean into the all-offense approach. And, again, this is kind of... I feel like this is kind of in the same vein as the kind of the Terry Stotts where, like, you don't have a good roster. What is the coach really supposed to do? I'm not saying that Scott Brooks is a good or a bad coach, but, like, again, I just don't think, like... Scott Brooks could have done anything else. Like Russ wasn't healthy at the beginning of the year. And like, again, every, a lot of people got injured and they just don't have the wings to actually play any real modicum of defense. And I think it's just unfair that he, that he's fired. And uh, yeah, just so many fire. There's a lot of openings this off season. Someone had a listing, but like off the top of my head, there's four that I can think of. Like the, uh, the, the trailblazers have one, um, the Pacers have one, and you know these two now, like Stan Van or the Pelicans and the Wizards. So, man, it's a it's a tsunami for openings uh, as a head coach. So, that that's an interesting it's an interesting time to be in, and uh, yeah, we'll see like you know what happens going forward. There's gonna be it's gonna be a pretty it's already shaping up to be a pretty crazy off season, and you know um, the draft lottery is next week. We'll definitely be doing an episode, and hopefully Fong is back by then. Maybe I maybe I even do an episode uh, before he comes back, just to, you know, just to kind of, what's it called? Do a calm before the storm episode. So, yeah, well, yeah, that's basically all I have. Hopefully, you guys enjoy kind of a midweek update, and uh, yeah, um, hopefully, like you know, we get some more good playoff basketball, and uh, you know, hopefully, more news comes out so that I have stuff to talk about. I guess. Okay, um, yeah, well, I'll catch you guys on the next one, and hopefully I can come out with you, come out or come out with an episode, like maybe later in the week before the uh, draft lottery.